Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported. That means we truly depend on you in order to bring this resource to you. If you don't already support us financially, you could do so. Visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. You'll see our three friendly yellow buttons there. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. Click on one of them and fill that out. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, March 2nd, 2020. Yeah, we got some podcast episodes we're putting up. Tuning in, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough. I am your servant in Jesus Christ. This is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you to slow down, stop, open up your Bible, and compare. Compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. Sadly, there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there. We take the time to open up God's Word to compare and contrast what the most popular pastors, preachers, teachers, conference speakers, self-proclaimed prophets, prophetesses, (gasps) self-appointed apostles and apostolettes, and those generally put forward by the evangelical industrial complex as those whom we need to be listening to, whose books apparently we need to be buying, and whose small group curricula we should be studying instead of the Word of God. Yeah, weird how that works. Over and again, we demonstrate that the steady diet of doctrine, that's teaching that is put forward, for consumption by the average evangelical, it's far from biblical, far from what God's Word says. There's a lot of deception going on out there, and, the, and well, the deception can be subtle, and sometimes it can be quite callous and out in the open. And so what we try to do here is bring to you a spectrum you know, of, of, of the easy to spot and the not so hard to spot, so that then you can learn how to rightly handle God's Word and find out that God's Word is way more amazing than you would be led to believe by listening to the average evangelical preacher or teacher today. And uh, and uh, there's a reason why many times you leave a sermon feeling kind of down and feeling like, oh, man, I feel kind of weighted down, and this is not good. And uh, we're going to talk about that on today's installment of Fighting for the Faith. In fact, let's talk about what we're going to do today. What we're going to do is we're going to do a full sermon review on a shorter sermon today. Uh, we're going to be heading over to Audacious Church in Manchester in the United Kingdom, and we're going to listen to Hannah Adkins talk about grit. And in talking about grit, what we're going to do is we're going to, well, do a little comparing and contrasting of what she's talking about here. And notice how that this is a sermon that weights people down. It's a, it, gives, it puts people under a heavy burden. In fact, if you've been attending churches and just sit there and go, 
man, I just feel like, you know, after going to church, I feel worse than ever. I feel like every time I go to church, I've got this list of things to do. And, and, and the, and the, the weight of the things I've got to be doing just gets heavier and heavier and heavier. And the list of things I need to do, 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 do just keeps getting longer and longer and longer and longer. Well, there's a reason why, and that has everything to do with the fact that the pastor or preacher or whoever uh, is is not preaching Christ for you. Instead, they are merely preaching Christ as an example for you to follow. Now, that does not mean that Christ hasn't left us an example to follow. He has, and there are clear passages in the Bible that say that. But if all you're doing is preaching Christ as the example rather than placarding him and proclaiming what he has done for us, then what you are doing is tying up heavy loads on people. You're not rightly distinguishing law and gospel. And Christ in his saving office and in his obedience, suffering, and death for us, those all get lost. And so we're going to do a little comparing and contrasting work today. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to listen to this sermon by Hannah Adkins on grit, and then we'll take a break. And after we take, you know, when we come back from the break after listening to her sermon, we will then play for you the sermon I delivered uh, yesterday at Kongsvinger Lutheran Church in Oslo, Minnesota. Uh, about the temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Yeah, that's that's right, from Matthew chapter 4. And, uh, and I'll be working through Genesis 3. I will be working through part of Matthew 4 as, part, as well as part of Romans 5 and be preaching Christ for you instead of merely making him an example uh, that you need to follow. And hopefully between the two sermons you can see the great contrast uh, between the two of them, and realize, whoa, wait a second here. That's the reason why every time I go to church, I feel just awful, uh, and it's because you know the pastor or preacher isn't preaching Christ for me, but always just loading me down. Well, you got to get up to snuff. You got to do what Jesus did. He left an example for you to follow, and all the kind of stuff. So I think you get the idea. That will be today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, since we're going to be doing a sermon review here. Let's go ahead and do this. The good, the bad, the ugly, we review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon, it's really more of a pep talk, comes to us via Audacious Church, Manchester, United Kingdom. Hannah Adkins presiding the name of the sermon. The full title is Grit, the only way is through. Grit. Do you have enough grit? Do you have the grit necessary to glorify God, to show God's power in your life? Well, if not, then you need to follow Jesus' example. Jesus is the ultimate example of grittiness. How did he get his grit? Well, he had a purpose. His purpose determined his grit. And so do you have a purpose like Jesus has? Because, I mean, Jesus did everything he did because he had purpose. Because he had purpose, he had the necessary amount of grit. So do you have the necessary amount of grit? And if all of this sounds crazy to you, (laughs) I assure you just... 
hang on, and it won't sound at least that crazy anymore. I'm not making any of this up. So let me back up on the music. And without any further ado, here's Hannah Adkins and Grit. The only way is through. You know, we all know we need grit in our lives, don't we? We all know we need a little bit of grit. All the parents in the house. I, I do. Who knew that the, the movie True Grit was a prophetic kind of thing? Give me a whoop whoop. Now, by the way, she shouldn't be preaching. God's word forbids what she's doing. <laughs> we need grit. I have three daughters. Am I sinning if I don't have enough grit? Daughters, two-year-old, four-year-old, and a seven-year-old. I need grit. I need grit to get through each day. You know, their biggest problem this morning was they can't find their biscuit. Who would love that to be their biggest problem in life? You can't find your biscuit. I need grit. I know parents, we need grit. I know high schoolers, you need grit to get through the exams. Don't need the degree that you're going through. Some of you are like, just to go to work every day. So no, the presenting problem here... We need grit. You may not have enough of it, but you need it. So Jesus, God wants you to have the proper amount of grit. So if you are gritless, you're grit deficient, you know, that your gritometer is low. You know, she's uh, Hannah's going to help you here and she's going to help get your grit up to snuff. You know, I am face that boss. Not me. That's fine. Love you guys. I need grit. We need grit to do that. We all. This is not a biblical sermon. This is self-help at best. We all need grit. And last week we were learning that actually uh, the tough times in our life yeah. are actually the points where we grow the most. They're growth points in our lives. And the reason that is, is because our tough times and the things that we go through are actually, uh, actually create new normals for us. When you, I don't mean to quibble here, Hannah, um, aside from the fact you shouldn't be preaching, let's just pretend you could. Um, the job of a pastor is to preach the word in season, out of season, you know, teach what's in accord with sound doctrine. Can you show me from the writings of Moses, the prophets, or any of Christ's apostles uh, where we are instructed by God to um, to you know, get our grit up and stuff. Because what you're talking here, I don't know where you're getting it from, but I'm 100% positive you ain't getting this from Scripture. Push through something, you create, and you access a new normal. Here's a crazy truth to do with grit today that I want to share with you, that the strength you've been praying for will come from the struggle you're in. Okay, do you have a biblical text that says that? I'd like to see it. The very thing, the strength that you've been praying for will come from the struggle that you're in. The new level of faith. Why are you yelling at me? Ah, I don't want to make eye contact. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. Please stop yelling at me. Don't hurt me. Why is she yelling? Faith that you want in your life will come from today's need. You've got a microphone. See, now I'm yelling. Just try to, you know, get my voice up to parody with her. Ah! And having grit in it and making a decision that you are going to have grit through it. 
I know that sometimes we can uh, look at other people and want what they have, but you can admire their leadership ability. You can admire their capacity. You can admire their authority. You can admire their faith. But do you know what else they probably also have? Grit. Okay. So no, you know what's missing here? A biblical text. There's like no biblical text at all here. Grit says this. It says that today's ceiling will be tomorrow's floor. That's a concept I learned in the NAR. Grit says that I'm actually going to get something out of this. But here's the problem. Here's the problem is that sometimes we give up too soon. We give up before the gain. I know I do. Is Jesus disappointed if I do that? And how do I know if I would have gotten the gain? Sometimes I give up before the gain comes. You know, muscle isn't bought, or it shouldn't be. Muscle isn't bought, it's built. Right, of course. So because muscle's built, not bought, that means I need to have grit as a Christian, and Jesus is disappointed with me if I don't? This is weird law. This is really, this is not like any of the Ten Commandments. I mean, okay. Muscle comes when you pick something up and you lift something that you previously didn't think you could lift. Grit is not a personality type. No. It's something that is built inside of us. Are you gritty enough? Some of us have been praying, God, get me out of this. Get me out of this situation. But really, we need to be praying, God, build me in this. Give me some grit, Lord. God, build me, the person I want to be, the person I pray that I will be. Build me in this situation, in my struggle. You know, when I was uh, in high school, we used to sing this song. It went something like this. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp. Keep me burning, burning, burning. Yeah, you can't. You kind of get the idea. So I think we need to modify modify this. Give me grit in my gut. Keep me gritty, gritty, gritty. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, give me grit in you know and make me um, abrasive. I pray. I I, I don't know. I'm, I'm working on it. I it just, it, the, the lyrics are not quite done yet. It's just a draft. You know, um, to the people around us, I love the fact that grit. What it does is grit gives you access to a new normal. Again, do you have biblical text for any of this? The new normal that you want in your life is probably going to come through you having grit. But also what grit does is grit displays God's existence to the people around us. Oh, no. I'm not properly displaying God's existence without the proper amount of gritty grit. <clears throat> who was that lady who said, you know, kiss my grit? You know, just, oh, never mind. That's it. Different. I, I I can't help help but hear this word with like a southern accent. You know, I, I need me some of them corn grits. You know, yeah. All right. Human resilience. There's a difference between just kind of humans' resilience and fighting through something, and a godly grit that comes from the inside that displays God's glory. You know, people. Do you have a godly grit that comes from the inside that displays God's glory? I mean. God's glory isn't, isn't being displayed properly enough in your life if you don't have the proper amount of grit. So you better get some grit out there because you're letting God down if you don't have it. Now you're sitting there going, man, uh, I'm feeling a heavy burden laid on my shoulders. 
yeah, that's exactly what she's doing here. She's laying a heavy burden on you. Are you gritty enough? How do you know when you've achieved the proper amount of grit? How much glory does God want to demonstrate through grit? Where do I get this grit? People in your world who don't know God yet, I reckon they can see God more in your life, not when you're plain sailing, but when you're going through a hard time and you still have hope and you still have strength and you still have optimism and you still have a presence of peace about you. That's when people can see it when you have grit. All right. So your evangelism is not up to snuff unless you have the proper amount of grit. Got it. That's not a guilt trip at all. You have a sense of grit. So we all want grit. I don't think there's anyone here that says, no, I'd like to be a little bit more flaky, please. It's never good. So the opposite of gritty is flaky. Got it. It's going to be a series Audacious is going to do. Flaky. <laughs> I reckon everybody... Your Bible sits unopened there on that table. But he wants grit, but we're like, how do I get it? Hannah, I hear what you're saying. I love it. I want a new level in my life. I want to display God's glory. How do I get it? Well, Jesus is our example. We know this. Okay, so notice what she just said there. Jesus is our example. So apparently she's discovered that uh, low grittiness is a bad thing. And so she's opening up the Bible or at least making reference to Jesus. And Jesus is the ultimate example of a guy who had grit. And uh, and holy grit at that. And so he's given us the example. So if you need grit in your life, you just need to make Jesus your example. Follow his example. And you'll finally get the proper amount of grit necessary so that God can be glorified in your life. Where is this doctrine taught in scripture again? Jesus walked on the planet partly to be our example of how to live as a person. And this is what it says in the word of God. Let's look at his grit. In Luke 19, 51, as it's running up to his death, Jesus knows that he has to die on the cross. It says this, as the time approached for him to be taken to heaven, for him to die on the cross, it says Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Yeah, it does. In in fact, the prophet, I think Isaiah, um, prophesying about that exact moment in Luke, says that Christ set his face like flint. So I want you to think about this. Christ is our example, she says. Now, granted, this is true. Christ has left us an example to follow. But that's not all he's done. And when we talk about Jesus going to the cross, why did he go to the cross? To bleed and to die for our sins. Because remember, Jesus is perfectly obedient from the moment of his conception all the way to his death, even death on a cross so that we can be forgiven, pardoned, reconciled to God, so that our sins can be atoned for. And the fact that Christ did this perfectly, that he set his face like flint, that he was going to accomplish his mission. What was his mission? To bleed and to die for you, to bleed and to die for me. And so Jesus didn't waver from his mission. He kept a singular focus for this purpose that he came that he would lay down his life even for his enemies, enemies and as ungodly as me and as ungodly as you. I mean, this would be a perfect time to flesh out what did Jesus do on the cross? Okay, he set his face like Flint to go to the cross. I mean, you the, you you pulled a text out that just allows you to, to just open up and talk about our sin, our unbelief, how we've earned hell, but Christ 
has gone to the cross so that we can live rather than face the condemnation of God. It's a big deal. But she's turned him into, um, well, just, just an example. Just an example. That's why he needed to go. He needed to go to Jerusalem to die on the cross. And it says he resolutely, he set out for Jerusalem. Isaiah 50, it says this in verse 6 to 9. And this is the prophecy. Oh, just pulled my earring out. Sorry, I've got to take the other one out. I can't deal with that. Thanks. It says this is a prophecy. Yeah, I've, I've never had an earring fall out while I was giving a sermon of what he just said in Luke 9 is the prophecy of that. It says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from the mockers and the spitters because the sovereign Lord helps me. I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. He had decided. He was determined. He was not distracted. I know. Isn't he amazing? That he did this for us. He did it perfectly for us. I mean, this is where we can really dig in and exalt Christ in his saving work. His perfect obedience, his vicarious penal substitutionary death. Because we do not keep these things perfectly, not even close. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Christ has done this for us because of the joy set before him. Because of his great love for us. I mean, these, you're right here. Why are you not doing this? I know I will not be put to shame. He he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will wear out like garments. The moths will eat them up. Oh, Jesus, he has grit. He's like grit personified. I love it. Yeah, the, the thing is, is that you've taken a modern understanding, a modern definition of concept that we kind of talk about in modern parlance. You've defined it out here, and now you're kind of imposing it on the text. And yeah, you could say that Jesus is, has grit based on how we understand it, but the problem is, where in Scripture does it say, well, because Jesus was gritty, you need to be gritty too? Because he is not distracted, he is determined, and he said he set his face like a flint. He knew what he needed to do. And the secret or the key to G- Jesus' grit is found in Hebrews 12, and this is what we can learn from Jesus today, and this is what we're going to look at quickly for the next few minutes. The secret to his grit. Before we ask God to come and meet with us and speak to us. You're going to do what? You're going to ask God to come and meet with you and speak with you? How'd you pull that off? Talk to his people and they just penciled him in. He, he agreed to come and speak. I love it. It says in Hebrews 12, it says this in verse 2. Here's the secret to his grit. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was able to persevere. He was able to battle through. He was able to take the cross. He was able to have grit because he had purpose. Yeah, and again, his purpose was to bleed and die for our sins, to reconcile us to God, to lay down his life so that, you know, 
at what does scripture say? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You're, you're touching on the gospel and you're taking Jesus's death on the cross, his suffering for our sins and just saying, well, look at that. He had grittiness. Do you have enough grit in your life? The secret is you got to have purpose. And then if you have purpose, because Jesus had purpose, you can be gritty like Jesus too. This is a mess. He's not, she's not preaching Jesus for us. She's reducing him to a mere example to follow. And of what? Grittiness, which is a concept that none of the biblical authors talk about. He had purpose. I'm here to tell your audacious church today that grit takes purpose. Yeah. Do you, have you found the right purpose to get your grit levels up? Grit takes purpose. It says, for the joy set before him. Do you want to know what the joy was? It was you. Exactly. And what did he do? He died on the cross for you. It was you, his purpose. When he hung on the cross, he turned his back to those for for a beating. He allowed them to pull out his beard. I mean, girls, like eyebrows being plucked. You know, he was scourged, right? Bad enough. And then he was nailed, hands and feet to the cross, right? People pull out his beard. Why? Because the joy set before him was that you would choose to have a relationship with him. You were. No. (laughs) Too much of a mess to have to clean up at the moment, but no, it was not so that because of the joy that you would choose to have a relationship with him. No text says that either. He endured the shames so that we can be forgiven, reconciled to the Father. For his purpose. You were his grit. No, I wasn't his. So today, I think we can learn from God, learn from Jesus that grit takes purpose. I want grit, Hannah. I want grit, audacious church. I need to ask the question, do I have purpose? Do you have enough purpose to get your grit levels up to snuff? If not, you better hear from God so he can tell you, you know, what you need to do to get your grit levels up to the proper place where he can be glorified properly, you know. I need grit in this situation. Do I have purpose in that? We want grit. We need purpose. I'm going to give you quickly three things that purpose will enable us to do in our lives. And then we're going to meet God. I mean, I'm going to get him. Okay, so she's going to give us three things to get, enable us to have grit. And then they're going to meet with God. Now, you, you get the idea of where this thing is going. It's a train wreck on steroids. And she's not preaching Christ for far from it. She hasn't really preached the gospel at all either. And that's the problem. Him to speak to you in this moment, God is going to speak to you about your circumstances. The first thing that purpose will do is it enables you to embrace the pain. All right. Got to back that up. So she's claiming that uh, God is going to speak to me. I want to get the context again. Here we go things that purpose will enable us to do in our lives and then we're going to meet god i mean i'm going to get him to speak to you in this moment god you're going to get him to speak to me so you're going to meet god and you're going to get him to speak to me in the moment how are you going to pull that off god is going to speak to you 
about your circumstances. The first thing that purpose will do is it enables you to embrace the pain. Right. So do you have the proper amount of purpose so that you can embrace the pain and uh, by embracing the pain, have the proper amount of grit? Oh, yes. Purpose enables you to embrace the pain. We know that Jesus had purpose. He could embrace the pain because he had a purpose. That's how he did it. Who knew? So are you purposeless? If you're purposeless, you don't have the proper amount of grit like Jesus did. You just need to follow his example and get a purpose and stuff. Where do you need grit in your life this week? Because that's where you need to find purpose. That's the place that you actually need to say to God in a moment, God, I need you to show me the purpose. You know, I want to encourage you with this fact that behind uh, pain, every time you go through pain, there is always a product to the other side of it. I want to say to you that there is a new normal waiting for you on the other side of pain. Great. Yay. New normal coming on the other side of pain. Huzzah. When you go to the gym and you lift, the pain is there, but the product is better strength tomorrow. Parents, you know the pain of the sleepless nights that we go through. And parenting the very best that we can, the pain of that is raising a child who is a world changer, who knows who they are, who is secure in God. Who is in- are you raising a world changer? Man, talk about being an overbearing parent. Did you imagine? Yeah, son, you're not being a, I don't see you being a world changer yet. You better get your act together. Secure what they're doing. Pain of staying up late, maybe to meet deadlines, to honor the boss, to do what you said you're going to do. The product, the new normal is the promotion that you have, the further influence. The pain of having faith in your sickness. What biblical text are you preaching from again? The pain of pushing through that, holding on to the word of God despite what you feel or despite what the doctors are saying. The product, the new normal, is creating an environment of faith around you. How does one exactly go about creating an environment of faith around me? What does that sentence even mean? That is ready for healing, not just for you, but for other people to see, for you to display it. There is always, there is always a product. There is always a new normal. What purpose does is it enables you to embrace the pain. Where do you need grit in your life? That's where you need to find purpose. I remember a few years ago when I was sick in my body and I had to go and they were going to say they were going to take a biopsy and there was real fear in me. And I remember thinking, i gotta, I got to get through this. I have to push through this. How can I push through this? And I knew I needed to find purpose. And when you're sick in your... So rather than praying to Jesus to help you, you went to go find purpose. Okay. Body, you know that God's not done it. You know God's a good God. You know he's a healer. So he didn't make this happen, but I had to go, oh, do you know what? I need to find purpose in this. And I remember getting on my knees... And I remember saying, God, if the only purpose in this is for me to learn to trust you more. You weren't asking him for anything. You were just saying something to him, okay? I'll grit through it for that. I'll grit through it for the only purpose in this, Lord, is for me to say 
I trust you completely. Then I now have grit. Who of us can say that we trust God completely? To get through it. What does purpose do? It does, it enables you to face, embrace the pain, face the pain. Maybe you're saying, I feel like I've lost purpose. I don't have purpose in this. And I've just realized the reason I've not got grit is because I don't have purpose in what I'm facing. In a moment, God's going to speak to you. He is. So I don't have purpose, but don't worry. God's going to speak to me. This is weird. He's going to reveal to you pain. He's going to reveal to you purpose, not pain. Purpose. Okay. If you say so. (laughs) The second thing that purpose does is this. It, It enables you to face so notice purpose is the savior here, not Jesus. The opposition. Yeah, purpose, not Jesus. Purpose will help you face the opposition because that was the secret sauce for Jesus. He had purpose. Face the opposition. I just read this in Isaiah 50. It says this. Uh, it says, he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. Fighting talk. Are you feeling strong? It's fighting talk. I love that the Bible doesn't shy away from the fact that there will be opposition. The Bible never promises that the moment you make God your God, that you're... The moment I make God my God, God is my God, whether I acknowledge him to be my God or not. What is this theology? Life is going to be like you just walking through roses. It's going to be happy. There'll be nothing. No, no, no. It actually warns us that there's going to be opposition. Jesus found opposition. He went to his hometown and they were like, aren't you the son of Mary? Just that carpenter boy. He faced opposition. He was preaching once and they carried him pretty much, chased him to the top of a hill to chuck him off, to kill him. Like, you know, you're preaching either good or really bad when that happens. (laughs) There was opposition. Do you know what? The disciples had opposition. And can I tell you something? You will have opposition. (laughs) What exactly are people going to be opposing me for at this point? For having a purpose? I thought we faced persecution for our confession of faith in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and our belief that salvation is found in no one except for him. I thought the cross was the stumbling block, not me having a purpose. In Jesus' life, we can actually see now, as we read it in the Bible, that the opposition Jesus faced was actually a byproduct of him being smack bang in the middle of God's purpose. How do you figure? Can you prove that from the biblical texts? Sometimes we can go through storms and we can say, ah, something must be wrong. Something must be going wrong. I must be doing something wrong in life. Can I tell you this? That actually, when you live in purpose, it will draw opposition to you. Really? So the big offense of Christianity is me having a purpose. I don't know where you're getting that from, Hannah, but that's not what the scriptures say. It will draw opposition to you. But when you live a life of purpose that God has called you to do, it will draw the, the enemy's attention. But also what purpose does is gives you grit to face the opposition. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not Jesus, but purpose will give you grit. To see it for what it is. I see you. We're in 21 days of prayer and fasting. 
And uh, what we probably should have said at the beginning, which maybe we did, maybe we didn't, I'm not sure, is this, that when you step into purpose and you put time aside to prayer, for prayer and fasting, what happens is opposition is very real. Maybe some of you are like, oh, that kind of makes more sense of my week. Jesus said when you pray, do it in a way that nobody knows you're praying. Or, or, or when you're fasting, don't disfigure your body or let anybody know that you're doing it. Do it in secret, and your, and your Heavenly Father, who's in secret, will reward you. So when I fast, I don't tell nobody nothing. They can't tell by how I'm dressed or how I did my hair or didn't do my hair. Um, how is it that you're saying that people are going to face opposition if they're fasting? If they do it the way Christ said to do it, nobody's going to know they're, they're even doing it. Again, this is so weird back this up time aside to prayer for prayer and fasting what happens is opposition is very real maybe some of you are like oh that kind of makes more sense of my week suddenly there's been old fears coming up and opposition maybe have arise maybe something has kicked off in your family or kicks off in your body and you're thinking what is this well let me tell you what it is see it through the eyes of purpose through the spiritual eyes this is opposition that's telling you to sit down it's telling you to be quiet it's telling you to eat something it's telling you that your god isn't on your side again none of this actually makes any biblical sense we're people of grit which says, no. Are, are you gritty enough to face the opposition and use purpose to help you when you're facing opposition when you're fasting? Dan mm-hmm. and I will face you. Who is my accuser? Let him face me. You know, we, we did a live recording for the, um, the band did a live recording on Friday night of our worship songs, praise and worship songs. How good is that? Who's enjoying the new songs we're writing? Maybe you didn't even know there were ours. We, this is the sound of our house. So Friday night, we wanted to record them so you can take them home, so people can listen to them all across the world. And uh, this week, at the beginning of the week, I warned the team and I said, guys, we're not just recording some sound. Let me explain what we're doing. Let me explain the purpose of this. We're capturing the sound of breakthrough from our house. You're capturing the sound of breakthrough. What exactly does that sound like? And we're recording it so it can go across Europe and across the world to bring breakthrough in people's lives. There's the purpose. It'll bring breakthrough. The sound of breakthrough will bring breakthrough. What are you talking about? Let me tell you what will happen this week. There will be opposition. And you need to see it for what it is. And there was. Stuff kicked off in our lives, but we saw it. And because we had purpose we could face the opposition. Purpose reminds you when you're facing the opposition who you're with. When you're a child, if you were going to go face a bully or face up to somebody, who knows you never wanted to be alone. It was like, nah, not going alone. So I had two older sisters and I would always be like, can you, can you come with me? Who you are with changed the way you are. Do you know what purpose does? It reminds you, I'm not alone. Jesus is with me, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. His grit is with me. His Holy Spirit empowerment is with me. You are not alone. Purpose enables you to face the opposition. And the other thing, the final thing that I want to say about purpose before we ask God to speak to us, speak to us about our purpose is this, that purpose enables you to know that victory is assured. 
Purpose does in it. Not Jesus, purpose. You see, Jesus himself had to rely on purpose. The purpose is more powerful than Jesus. Check. Got it. Victory is assured. Isaiah 50, verse 9, let me read it to you. We just read it. It says, it is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? Yeah, it's the Lord who helps me, not purpose. They will wear out like garments. The moths will eat them up. Opposition will arise, but heaven will descend. Victory is assured. Sometimes we can say, oh, we're on the winning team. We're on the winning team because we know that Jesus has won. So we can say we're on the winning team. No, you're just on the team that's won. Like we are more than conquerors. Jesus has fought the battle. He gritted through on the cross. Death has been defeated. You have won. Actually, he has won for me. Victory is assured. Suddenly when you have purpose, it's less. How about if I have Jesus? Why do you keep putting the emphasis on purpose rather than Christ, who was the one who won? It's about, oh, will it happen? Won't it happen? But you can grip. Cue sappy music. That's an emotional manipulation technique designed to create the false impression that God, the Holy Spirit, is now descending on the audience, helping them make decisions of one kind or another. Through because it's just a matter of time. Victory is assured. Trust says, oh God, my breakthrough is coming and whether or not it's this side of eternity or that side of eternity is okay because I just know that the battle's been won. My breakthrough is just around the corner, man. I just need purpose to give me strength to have enough grit to glorify God. Victory is assured. Purpose reminds you that you are victorious. I don't feel victorious. I I am. Victorious? I haven't really won any battles. No, well, do you know what? Jesus has, makes you more than a conqueror, the Bible says. More than a conqueror. Yeah, I feel like you're sloganizing here rather than exegeting. You're not just, Jesus is the conqueror. You're more than a conqueror because you reap the benefits of the conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. Grit takes purpose. You're here and you're thinking, I hear this grit series and I'm just hearing, be better, be better, be stronger. Yeah, that's right. That's what I'm hearing here. Do, 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 do. Rather than what Christ has done. Glad you brought it up, Hannah. Live a better life, but we're not. This morning I'm here to tell you that grit takes purpose. So you better get one. And God wants to speak to you about the purpose. God, yeah, yeah. Luckily for you, Hannah was able to swing it that Jesus was going to show up there and, and, and have um, private one-on-one conversations with people to give them their purpose in order to get their grit levels up. Where you are right now. The purpose of your circumstances. The purpose of your situation. I don't know what religion this is. But this is not biblical Christianity. Our ultimate purpose, we know this, Matthew 28, 19, is go and make disciples of all the world. That's the mission statement for the church. That's our purpose as people of God. Our purpose is to show people God. No, Jesus said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have commanded. Baptizing, teaching. The two go together. 
And uh, this sermon actually disobeyed Jesus's command uh, because you didn't actually teach anything that Jesus taught or said or did or even rightly handled a single biblical text. So in your circumstances and in your situations, I want you to stand and think, how can I show God to the people around me in this? Do you know most of the time what it will be? You just missed the whole point of the, the Great Commission. And what you said has nothing to do with the Great Commission. Showing God in a circumstance, what? Grit. Oh, great. Now, I'm going to back this up because I want you to hear what she did to the Great Commission. Our purpose is to show people God. No, baptizing and teaching. That's what we're supposed to do as a church. So in your circumstances and in your situations, I want you to stand and think, how can I show God to the people around me in this? Do you know most of the time what it will be? Grit. All right, there you go. So grit will show God. Okay. Having grit. Not preaching Christ correctly, rightly handling a biblical text. Showing grit. Yeah, that'll do it. So I want to ask you today, where is it that you need grit? Where? I, I don't know. I don't know. My tile floor? Sandpaper? Because probably that's also the place that you need God to speak to you about the purpose. He needs to speak to you about why you find yourself there. I want to declare over you today that you're not a normal person. You're, not you're declaring that over me. I'm not normal. Okay. Not normal. No, not me. Take that as a compliment. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm not normal. You're not a normal person. The Definitely not. The moment you gave your life to God, everything changed. I didn't give my life to God. Christ gave his life for me. You got that backwards. Not just where you will spend your eternity. Everything changed. Who you are changed. Suddenly, you're not a teenager just going into the classroom, sitting with all your mates, trying to blend in. Please don't stick out. I just hope nobody sees me. Suddenly, you have a purpose. Suddenly. I have some suddenlies here. And, and suddenly, I've got a purpose. Apparently, I had no purpose before. You have an assignment in that place. Suddenly the grit to actually be different in a generation and not go with the flow comes. Why? Because you have a purpose. Yeah. Praise the almighty purpose. In your All glory, honor, and praise to the purpose. University, you have a purpose. Do not think you're normal. You have a purpose. Which means you've got... I'm special, apparently, because I have a purpose. Great. In your workplace, you have an assignment far bigger than your workload. And that's to display God's glory to your workplace. Don't think you're normal, because you won't see the opposition coming. But the moment you realize you have purpose, it all makes sense. And you get grit. Okay, whatever. You're not normal in your family. You're not normal in your friendship group. No, I'm, I'm super-de-duper special and stuff. I, I guess I glow in the dark. You have a purpose that God has for you. Maybe some of you are saying, I feel like I have a vague purpose, but I need God to speak to me today very specifically about this purpose. Why do I find myself where I am? I need grit 
to access the new level. I need grit to access the new level and stuff and thingies. Where where is grit and new levels talked about in the Bible? Again, I need some texts in context, please, Hannah. He has for me, but also so I can show off God. Got to show him off. Come on, church. Why don't you stand to your feet? All right. So that's the uh, the the sermon in its entirety, and what a complete train wreck that was. And you'll note the whole emphasis was on what. You, you gotta get grit. And Jesus, when what he did, setting his face like flint towards the cross and going and doing what he did, well, that just serves as an example of a guy who had purpose, who then had enough grit to do his purpose. And you gotta have grit and do your purpose too. And God's gonna apparently talk to you uh, now at Audacious Church and help you find purpose so that you can get your grit levels up to snuff rather than preaching Christ what he did for you. Yeah, big difference. All right, we're up on our first break and only break. And uh, when we come back, we're going to be listening to my sermon uh, from yesterday. And the sermon's about the temptation of Jesus from Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we'll take a look at Genesis 3 as well as uh, Romans 5 along the way. Hopefully it'll serve as a counterpoint to this understanding of preaching Christ as just an example as opposed to preaching him for you. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Sissioprified religiosity won't save you. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. I've had enough of this sissy, pansy, cunning, photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. presents Church Day Select. Okay then, uh, Mr. Haas. The results of the test have come back. What are they, Doc? Uh, not good. That's what. What do you mean? What's wrong with me? Where do you want me to start? Is that all mine? That and the seven other stacks of paperwork just like it. Oh, dear. Oh, dear, indeed. I guess we can start off with the good news. Okay. You don't have cancer. Oh, thank God. Funny that you'd say that. Why? Now, don't get ahead of yourself. As I said before, you don't have cancer. And that's about it for the good news. Huh? Moving on. 
This here is an x-ray of your esophagus and your stomach. Wait! What are those? Please, try to stay calm while I explain the prognosis. What? For the sake of contrast, I've included the same type of x-ray from a healthy patient. Oh, no. Oh, no, indeed. Now, I've seen my fair share of cases like these, but nothing is ever compared to what you've got going on. Uh, are those? Yes. Those are pentagrams emblazoned on the unprotected skin of your esophagus. Is that the reason For that- your heartburn? Oh, no. Not even close. If you look closely, we have identified this black lump in your stomach as brimstone. That is the cause of your heartburn. And no, Nexium won't fix it. How can this be happening to me? Well, to put it simply... You've contracted a religiously transmitted disease. But how? Well, there are many ways. One of the more common ways is to preach heresy and to openly accept the teaching of the devil and his ways. But, 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 but... Oh, trust me, this is only the tip of the iceberg. You know how much sulfur we found in your golem? You found what? In my what? Sulfur. You see, it's normal to find in some of the victims of possession. But you were something extraordinary. We found three whole pounds of it in there. Three pounds? Don't even get me started on the pH of your blood, though. Hoo-wee! There was some nasty stuff. Melted right through our equipment when one vial exploded in the centrifuge. Yes, sir. You've got yourself a really nasty religiously transmitted disease. What am I gonna do? For starters, I would stop spewing those lies you pass off as sermons down at your church. That should start to alleviate some of the burning sensations. I- On that note, I would suggest some good old-fashioned expository teaching because the only thing that's going to fight off this disease is the Word of God. I can't believe what I'm hearing! That's obvious. You certainly won't be able to unless the Father himself draws you. There's got to be an easier way! I gotta ask you, have you considered baptism? What's that got to do with anything? Oh, I don't know. Circumcision of the heart not done by human hands for the forgiveness of your sins... Ring any bells? You're not being helpful! Well, if you don't want to do any of that, I guess all I can do is fill out your prescriptions. Here you go. What? What's a three-month supply of vision lack supposed to do? Oh, trust me. You're gonna need it. Hello, people of the interwebs. Strongbird here with an important announcement. <coughs> Are your walls bland? Have you not felt any exhilaration since you watched the paint dry on them three years ago? Well, you're in luck. Pirate Christian Media is now setting pretty, pretty pictures for you to spruce up your depressingly bland wall space. Wait, just one moment. Uh, oh. Really? Okay. I'm sorry, folks. These are not pretty, pretty pictures. They're fine art prints, which means that you're probably going to want to hang them in an actual frame rather than on the fridge next to little Jimmy's impressionist take on motor vehicles. Uh, is that even street legal? These fine art photographs, or uh, uh, um, art for short, will be personally signed by the captain himself with an included certificate of authenticity to boot. Mm-hmm. Now that's quality art if I ever saw it. But be warned, larger prints of Pirate Christian Media's art 
are limited editions with only 50 of each print being made. Be sure to go to piratechristian.com, click on the Fine Art Photographs link at the top of the page, and check for prices and availability of our regularly updated photo gallery. Thank you. Bum, 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 bum. Na, 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 na. All right, we're back. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to think that it's important for your pastor to preach what Christ has done for you, not merely setting an example for you to follow. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. And you can support us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our three friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. The other says become a patron. When you join our crew, you get to pick your rank in our crew. Rank is based upon your monthly commitment. Lowest rank is Powder Monkey. At $9.95 a month, Gunner's Mate at $24.95 a month, Master Gunner $49.95 a month, and then Quartermaster $99.95 a month. Joining our crew is a great way to support us. Now, a little bit of a note. Everybody who joins our crew in the month of March 2020 at Gunner's Mate or above, I will send you an autographed copy of my fine art print titled uh, Minnesota Winter Sunset, and you can see that on our Join Our Crew page. Uh, again, that's our special gift for everybody who joins uh, at Gunner's Mate or above uh, in the uh, month of March of 2020. Um, if you'd like to make a one-time contribution, click on the Donate button. If you'd like to become a patron on Patreon, click on the Become a Patron button. Button. If you'd like to support us the traditional way, you can do so by making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 13344, Grand Forks, North Dakota, zip code 58208. And let me thank you for your support. We truly cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, we're going to listen to another sermon. So let's go ahead and throw our good sermon review uh, music up. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, bum, bum. Bum, 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 bum. Good, the bad, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Now, we're going to be listening to my sermon from yesterday. So, sermon we're going to be listening to is the second Adam is crushing the head of the serpent for you. It is an exegetical sermon that will take a look at Genesis chapter 3, at Matthew chapter 4, and throw in Romans 5 for good measure. And the emphasis is going to be on Christ and his obedience and what he has done in order to save us from the predicament that we find ourselves in as human beings as a result of our fallen sin. So hopefully you'll see the difference between these two sermons. <laughs> if not, then I failed miserably. But uh, let me go ahead and back off on the music. And without any further ado, here is my sermon titled, The Second Adam, Crushing the Head of the Serpent. For you. Here we go. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the fourth chapter. 
Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the gospel of the Lord. In the name of Jesus. As we embark on this Lenten tide, we are again thrust back to a passage that I keep referring to as the scene of the crime. This is the point in human history, and yes, this is human history, this is not mythology, when mankind first went toe-to-toe with Satan and lost badly, really, really badly, horribly badly, worse than we care to admit, badly. Now, I know a thing or two about losing badly and then the denial that goes with that. You know, I would remind you I root root for the Los Angeles Dodgers as a baseball team. And after getting walloped in the first round of the playoffs by the Washington Nationals, the first stupid thing out of my mouth was, there's always next season. Those of you who root for the Vikings know what I'm talking about. But when it came to our defeat to the devil in the garden, it seemed like there was no next season. At least it seemed to be a long way off. That one sin plunged all of us into sin, condemnation, eternal death. And since that time, no man, well, except for one, has ever gone toe to the toe with the devil and won. And so let's again pick through the evidence left for us at this attempted murder scene. And that's what it really was. Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John that the the devil was a murderer from the beginning and revealing to us that what the devil was up to here was an attempted murder. The goal was to murder humanity made in the image of God and have God himself be the murder weapon. It was an exquisite plan if you think about it in terms of evil. So we're going to pick back through this and let's see if we can figure out exactly what went wrong and consider then the far-reaching implication that it has on all of us even to this day. And in order to do that, I'm just going to grab a small bit of the context from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And here's what it says. Yahweh Elohim took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And Yahweh Elohim commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now, it's important to note here, God spoke these words to Adam. Adam then taught these words to Eve. And we know from the minor prophets that God himself had made a covenant with Adam and that Adam eventually broke that covenant. There was one commandment, don't eat from that tree. That's it. That's the only commandment. And this was their act of worship. And you're going to note that Adam teaches Eve the word of God. He's like the first pastor. He's the first one out there preaching and teaching what God's word is. And it was given to him directly. 
And now, knowing all of that, let's consider the scene of the crime, chapter 3. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any of the beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Let me give you the Rosebro paraphrase here, because the Rosebro paraphrase kind of fleshes out the fact that the question itself is a loaded question. You know, you know what a loaded question is? It's one of these questions where there's an answer implied in the question. Uh, over and again, you know, the, in, in logic classes, they, the standard uh, loaded question is, have you stopped beating your wife yet? Well, if you ask a question like that, the assumption is, well, you're beating your wife. And so you have to say, whoa, 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 slow down there, Tex. That's, that's a loaded question. We need to back that up just a little bit and deal with the fact that I'm not beating my wife. So you, you get the idea. So you're going to know here, this is a loaded question. Did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Here's my paraphrase. Is it true God's not letting you guys eat? Oh, we know he's this terrible, awful, self-centered deity, and oh, man, I'm here to rescue. I'm your friend. I, are you hungry? I, I got some food for you. That's kind of the paraphrase. And you're going to note here that what he's doing by asking this question is completely slandering God. But here's kind of the interesting psychological bit. What he's doing is he's projecting his own evil character onto God. This is narcissistic uh, projection, if you would. So the woman said to the serpent, now I'm going to give Eve a little bit of slack here because um, I, I catechize youth. And um, we work through their memory work on a weekly basis. You know, what's the third commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. What does this mean? It means that we should um, fear and, and love God so that we um, go to church. No, 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 no. Fear, love, and trust in God so that we do not despise preaching in his word, but gladly hear and learn. So I'm, oh, as, a, as somebody who catechizes we're always working on memory work here. So you're going to note that Eve's memory work is not quite up to snuff. And so she says, well, we, we, can, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Memory work is a little shoddy here, but she's in the ballpark. And now the serpent continues. You will not surely die. What's he tacitly saying here? God lied to you. You can't trust God, and you can't trust what he says to you. I'm your friend. I'm going to tell you the truth. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. See, God doesn't want you to be like him. No, no, no. He's, he's, he's really small-minded. He's, he's jealous. He's capricious. He, he's threatened by you. If you achieve your full potential, oh, man, he hates that. So he's trying to suppress you and keep you down. And so the slander against God and this questioning and challenging of God's words openly, defiantly, aggressively lead Eve to do something really foolish. And I mean this, really, really, really foolish. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, feelings, nothing more than feelings. What is what's she doing? She's going inside. Well, the question before her is, should I eat from that tree or not? That's the question. And where is she going for the answer? Right here. God's word comes to us from outside of us. God's word is not found in here. God's word is preached to us. God's word is in the scriptures. 
God's word can be trusted. And the last place you go to determine whether or not what God said is true or false is in here. You're not going to find the answer in here. The word is outside. So she goes completely internal. And so when she saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes. Well, it's kind of pretty. And that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her. He was there the whole time. Why was he silent? What's going on here? Right. Now, the Book of Concord, these are our confessions. The Book of Concord, in the small called Articles, Section 3, Article 8. That sounds so official, doesn't it, right? Uh, Luther actually addresses what went wrong here. And the sin, if you would, the complete error of what is called enthusiasm. Enthusiasm. That's God within-ism, where you determine truth based upon feelings. Nothing more than feelings. It's called enthusiasm. And this is a terrible sin. It's a, this will get you into all kinds of trouble. Here's what Luther said. In these matters which concern the external, the spoken word, we must hold firmly to the conviction that God gives no one his spirit or grace except through or with the external word which comes before. Thus we shall be protected from the enthusiasts, that is, from the spiritualists who boast that they possess the spirit without and before the word and who therefore judge interpret and twist scripture or the spoken word according to their pleasure. And that's the thing. When you use your feelings to determine what is right and wrong, your feelings uh, stand over God's word and you've made your feelings God. And then he quotes, he cites somebody historically by the name of Munzer. Munzer was kind of like the first charismatic guy that crops up in the, you know, in the Lutheran Reformation. And Luther chi- uh, Munzer chided Luther for not for not experiencing you know, the, the spirit within. And Luther is historically quoted as saying to Munzer, Munzer, I wouldn't believe you if you had swallowed the Holy Spirit, feathers and all. And so it's a, it's a great little rebuke. So he says, Munzer, Munzer did this, and many still do it in our day, who wish to distinguish sharply between the letter and the spirit. Yeah, yeah. By the way, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's theonoustos. It is God-breathed. So there is no distinction between the letter and the spirit when it comes to the word of God. God's word comes to us both, right? So Munzer made that distinction without knowing what they say or preach. And then he says this, the papacy too is nothing but enthusiasm, for the pope boasts that all laws are in the shrine of his heart, and he claims that whatever he decides and commands in his churches is spirit and law, even when it is above and contrary to the scriptures of the spoken word. And all of this is the old devil, the old serpent, who made enthusiasts out of Adam and Eve, and he led them from the external word of God to spiritualizing and to their own imaginations, and he did this through other external words. And so you see what the devil did here at the scene of the crime. Rather than listening to the external word of God, do not eat of that tree. Pretty simple. They looked for the answer in here, and as a result of it, the devil turned them into enthusiasts. And thus we still struggle with this today, all of us. Well, the story continues then in Genesis. When the woman saw the the tree was good for food, we talked about all of that. She gave some also to her husband who was with her. He ate, and then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. 
They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Yeah, after signing on the dotted line, after making the decision, they realized they've been sold some shoddy goods. Even Eve herself will confess that she was deceived. This is not what they were expecting. So they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Yahweh Elohim among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, Well, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then Yahweh Elohim said to the woman, What is this you've done? Now note, by saying what Adam said, the woman you gave me, who's he blaming? God. You know, the, now the passing of the buck goes all the way up to it. This is your fault, God. You made Eve. Yeah, right. And then the Lord said to the woman, What is this you've done? So the woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. At least she gives an honest answer, right? So then the Lord God now starts handing out judgments says to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And verse 15, always worth noting, this is the first gospel. It comes while God is handing out curses to the serpent, and he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. In other words, the offspring of a woman, that can only be the virgin-born son of God. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Then to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. So every woman who's given birth to a child always says, thanks, Eve, that's just spectacular. And of course, all the tension that exists in marriages, it's just so fun. It's all part of the curse as well. And then to Adam, listen to these words. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife... No, God makes it very clear. You didn't listen to me. You listened to her. Who was she listening to? Her feelings. Why was she listening to her feelings? Because the devil, well, deceived her. Because you've listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So from the garden on, it's hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. All right? Why? Well, this is all part of the curse. And then the text says, The man called his wife's name Eve Chava, because she was the mother of all the living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin, and he clothed them. So notice, as soon as they sinned, they realized that they were naked. And God takes their nakedness and covers it. Some animals had to die so that they can be clothed. And all of that is a foreshadow of Christ whose righteousness we are clothed in, whom God put to death for our sins so that our nakedness, sin, and shame can be covered. And all of that is just foundation work. We're doing a little bit of in-depth study here. Now we come to our gospel text here, and we're going to note that our epistle has already made it clear that Jesus is the second Adam. And so now we hear about what happened to Jesus. He's fresh out of the waters of his baptism in the Jordan River at the hand of John the Baptist. And when Jesus was baptized, the voice of the Father was heard saying, 
This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Here, Jesus has an external word from God the Father, and what do you think the devil's going to go after? The external word. So Jesus was led up in the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry. I can barely make it 40 minutes. I can't imagine 40 days. So then the tempter came to him. Now, a little bit of a note here. We all know how this usually works. When you think about the ultimate battle between good and evil, every good movie has this. Usually, when it's the battle between good and evil, there's some kind of preparation time, getting your weapons loaded, your guns cleaned. Or in the case of the Rocky movies against Apollo Creed, they have that training montage where he's doing push-ups with one arm. He's drinking raw eggs. He's running down the streets of Philadelphia with kids following behind him. He climbs up the stairs and does this thing, and he's ready to fight Apollo Creed. What does Jesus do in preparation for the ultimate showdown between good and evil? He doesn't eat for 40 days. Is Jesus physically at his fittest, his strongest? No, he's at his weakest. And you can see that at the end that the angels have to tend to him after this battle shows you just how weak Jesus is. Out in the wilderness, I mean, no food. He's only drinking. His lips are probably chapped. And this is the days before there was chapstick. My wife would never have survived these conditions. So... Jesus is hungry. The tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, look what he's attacking here, that voice from heaven. If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. So note, he's basically saying, now, Jesus, I know you heard that voice. I heard that voice. But don't you think you better check to see if that voice was telling you the truth? We, 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 we shouldn't trust God and his word without checking to see if what he's saying is true. You better exercise a little good measure of doubt and check to see if what God really, if what he said is what he really meant. And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy and says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Round one goes to Jesus. So now the devil, repulsed, realizing it's going to take a little bit of work here, he decides he's going to twist the psalm that we had in our... Um, in our intro it today, Psalm 91. And if you read Psalm 91, there's nothing in there that says that if you have doubt regarding the, the, the voice of God and what God has said to you, you can throw yourself off a temple and the angels will catch you. That's a misuse of this text. And he omits some of it itself. It says, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all of your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And, well... The devil omits some relevant data in quoting the scriptures, which the devil is really good at doing, twisting up God's word to make it say something it doesn't say. And so he says, if you are the son of God, here we go again, questioning that voice of God, throw yourself down for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him again, it's written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Round two goes to Jesus. So again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him. Now, no, at this point, we're not even twisting the word of God or even making any allusions to it. He just decides to go full on and see if we can get Jesus to join him in his rebellion. I will give you all of these if you will fall down and worship me. Other texts tell us that authority over these things have been given to him. And he's willing to give it to Jesus if all he, all he has to do is bow down and worship him. Just break that first commandment, Jesus. 
And this shows you just how sick, narcissistic, and evil the devil is. He ain't your friend. He's not my friend. What he basically wants to do and what he's been trying to do for millennia is to depose the God who created him and to take his place, which all of us do, by the way, in our own sin. So Jesus says, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So then the devil left him and it says angels came and were ministering to Jesus, probably due to the fact that he hasn't eaten for 40 days. He needs some strength. So what does it all mean? Why is it significant that Jesus was tempted by the devil and didn't fall like we have? Was it merely to set an example so that we can follow that example and thereby learn how to defeat the devil like Jesus did? Oh, please, no. That's really not it. I mean, because if you think about it, that, that interpretation basically has Jesus sitting there going, you guys have been getting it wrong for thousands and thousands of years. Don't make me come down there and show you how to do this. It's not what he was doing. That's not what he was doing at all. Instead, we have to understand the significance of this and that Jesus defeated the devil for us because we cannot do this for ourselves. And so coming back to just some good, old-fashioned, sound doctrine, the Augsburg Confession, Article 2, states this, It's also taught among us that since the fall of Adam, all men who are born according to the course of nature are conceived and born in sin. That is a condition, my friends. That is, all men are full of evil lust and inclination from their mother's wombs, and they are unable by nature to have true fear of God and true faith in God. Moreover, this inborn sickness is, a, is hereditary sin and is truly sin, and it condemns to the eternal wrath of God all those who are not born again through baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then rejected in this connection are the Pelagians. Pelagians deny not only the doctrine of original sin, that humans are born sinful, but Pelagians also taught that Christians can achieve sinless perfection in this lifetime. The two seem to go hand in hand, and we'll talk about that in our Sunday school, a little bit of a deeper study on the concept. So we reject the Pelagians in both counts, and then others who deny that original sin is sin, for they hold that natural man is made righteous by his own powers, thus disparaging the sufferings of Christ. And so you're going to note then, we have two historical narratives. We have the narrative of Adam and Eve in the garden. We have the narrative of Christ going toe-to-toe with the devil, him being tempted in much a similar way that Adam and Eve were. And thankfully, God doesn't leave it to our imaginations to understand why this is significant. And this is where our epistle text comes and shines for us. Because Paul in Romans 5 gives us the Holy Spirit-inspired interpretation of all of this and what it means and why this will then comfort us. It says this, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Think of it this way, is that every one of us have had contact with Adam through our parents. Sin is like the ultimate coronavirus, and the mortality rate is 100%. And we've all been infected by this disease, this evil. And because of this, death has spread to all men. For indeed, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And it says this, who was a type of the one who was to come. You see, Scripture is very clear. 
Adam, in him we all fell. He is a type and shadow of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ, being the fulfillment of the type and shadow, works everything in reverse. Through the one man we all became sinners, and through the one man, the second Adam, Jesus, we are made righteous. But through the one man's disobedience, we fall. Through the one man's obedience, we are restored. You see, the reason why it's so important that Christ defeated the devil when he was tempted is because he did that for us so that by his obedience, then we can be restored to God. No longer fallen, but restored, forgiven. That's the idea. Made righteous. So the free gift, it's not like the trespass. No, salvation is a free gift. For if the many died through the one man's trespass, how much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many? And so the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And so you'll know all those curses, all the pain, all the suffering just seems to be an abundance of pain and suffering and disease and blah in this life. Thank you for the superabundance of blah. Adam. But note then, it says this, but the gift, the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, So one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. You see, Jesus did not defeat the devil merely to give an example of how you can do it so that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps. No, he defeated the devil because you and I can't. So he did it for us. And he was obedient to God in this temptation, obedient to God in all ways. In fact, Jesus was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet is without sin. This is why he has compassion on us. This is why he understands our weakness and can sympathize with us. And because of this then, because of his obedience, Christ is obedient here, Christ is obedient the next day, all the way through all of his life, all the way to his obedience in laying down his life laying down his life so that we can be forgiven. He was obedient even to the point of death, even death on the cross. And because of this, we who are sinners because of Adam, now through the second Adam, are declared to be righteous in him. So this Lenten tide, as we again consider our own sin, consider the magnitude and the depth of it, that each and every one of us is riddled with this disease and we are all still symptomatic of it even though we are new creations in Christ. And Christ has declared us to be righteous and has promised us a day is coming when we will be set free from this body of death and that we will reign with him in a world without end when he returns in glory to judge the living and the dead. So it is appropriate then that during our confession of sins, we confess these words. We confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean.
And our text today help us realize that that is a true confession and that when we say those words, we're saying the same thing as the external word of God. And when we believe and trust that Christ has bled and died for our sins, then the old evil foe is repulsed and God in his mercy and grace declares us to be righteous, clothed with the righteousness of his son. In the name of Jesus, amen. So what would you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Fire Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there at Fire Christian. Until tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ, by death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>